Well, this morning we're going to continue uh, a brand new series we started last Sunday entitled Good Morning Holy Spirit. And I don't know how you woke up this morning, but I woke up with a Good Morning Holy Spirit on my lips uh, just as I do almost every single day of my life. And so we, we said last week, we said that the heartbeat of this series is really about launching us into a transformational relationship with God the Father, Jesus the Son, through a personal relationship with God, the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14 says this, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And we kind of talked a little last Sunday how that most Christians or most people seem to understand the grace of God. We've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Many people have an understanding about the love of God. God is love and that God's love casts out all fear. But we kind of clarified last week that probably for many Christians, the missing link in the transformational power of God at work in their life is in that fellowship of the Holy Spirit, that relationship with God through the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says this. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation, that now is the appointed time. So let me just encourage you in something today. Now is the time, right? If you're going to receive from God, if you're going to step into the purpose of God, if you're going to experience breakthrough or healing or deliverance in your life, now is the time. And it is, it is in our response to what God is doing through the Holy Spirit that we can receive the grace of God that brings salvation, that we can experience the love of God, right, that literally casts out all fear, and that we can experience the transformational power of God at work in our lives as He works in and through us through the person of the Holy Spirit. We said last week that salvation is a spiritual decision made by faith in the finished work of Jesus, but that transformation is a daily decision made by faith in response to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. That every day God is wanting to transform us. God is wanting to take us from where we are to where he's called us to be. And how many of you can honestly look at your life today and say, you know what, I can recognize where I am, and I'm glad. How many of you are glad you're not where you used to be? Come on, somebody. I'm glad I'm not where I used to be. Praise God for that. But how many of you can look and say, you know what, I believe and I know in my heart that God has more for me. Amen? And I'm not where I used to be, but I believe God has more for me. And it is our daily response to the Holy Spirit that allows us to be transformed into the more. And here's what's exciting about the transformational work of the Spirit of God in our lives. First of all, God transforms us and we become the person God's called us to be. And then we can do the things God has called us to do. And that's really important. We are transformed to be who God has called us to be so we can then do what God has called us to do. Why? Because Christianity is not, is not a, a lifestyle of trying to do things so I can become something. Christianity is a lifestyle of becoming something and then doing what I've been created to do. 
And all of a sudden, it shifts because the Bible says this. The Bible says the commandments of the Lord are not burdensome. What does that mean? God's Word is not a burden. I don't believe Christianity is a burden we bear. I think it's a joy that we share with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And I think that we get to get up every day, and because we are transformed to be who God has called us to be, then we can do the things God has called us to do. And it's not about me working it up, and it's not about me stirring it up, And it's not about me having this checklist of this is what Christianity looks like and I've got to be on purpose to do all these things every day. No, I live out of the overflow of who I have become in Christ Jesus. And how many of you understand that when you do something to become something, that's a lot of work. But if you begin to live out of who you are, And who you are dictates what you do. That is an easy way to live your life. Why? Because I'm not having to work it up. I'm not having to stir it up. I'm just living out of the overflow of who I have become in Christ Jesus. And all of a sudden, it's not a burden. It's not a struggle. I don't get up every day and hope that I can love somebody today. No, I get up today and I love people because I've been made and transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. I serve people because my heart has been transformed in the heart of a servant. I care about people because the love of God has been shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, we live out of the overflow of who we are. Not out of a religious ritual of checking the marks of doing something to become something. No, I am something, and therefore I do what I am, and it's a joy. Amen? And that is the power of transformation. That is the power of us stepping into this transformed life by the Holy Spirit that allows us to live in victory because we've been changed from within. Amen? So let's look in John chapter 16. John chapter 16, we kind of closed the message last Sunday with this scripture. We're going to start in verse 7 and read to verse 11 because Jesus tells us something. The Bible here in John 16, Jesus is speaking. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, that's the Holy Spirit, by the way, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him, the Holy Spirit, to you. So Jesus tells us that it is to our advantage that he goes away so that we can receive the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about that a little more in depth today. He goes on in verse 8 and he says this, And when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So look at that first point. So what we want to do today is we want to just break down those scriptures we just read. And we want to recognize the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Now let me ask a question today. When I say the word conviction, how many of you kind of understand what I'm talking about? A conviction, something that is within. It's not an intellectual decision. It is a spiritual conviction. It is the stirring of the heart. It is the moving from within. I've got this conviction that I've got to do something. I've got this conviction that I've got to say something. I've got this conviction that compels me to maybe step outside of my comfort zone and maybe say or do something I normally would not 
do. And so what we're going to see is how the Holy Spirit works through that inner conviction of heart and life to take us into the transformational life that He intends each and every one of us to live. So let's talk about the first element. Look at that next point. So the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, convicts the world of sin. This is the sin of unbelief for not believing in Jesus. Look what Jesus said. He said he will convict the world of sin, verse 9. He said of sin because they do not believe in me. It is the sin of unbelief that sends people to hell. How many know people don't go to hell because they lie, cheat, and steal? People go to hell because they reject Jesus, the remedy for their sin, the one who died that they might live, the only one that can forgive them and release them from the penalty of sin and grant them the gift of eternal life. Hell is filled with people that have rejected Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. I had an opportunity a couple weeks ago. I was flying home from Chicago teaching at the Bible school up there. And as I was flying home, I was on the flight sitting next to a lady. She was in her late 70s. She was a wonderful lady. She lived in Huntsville over in Madison. And we began to talk on the flight home. She was very intelligent. She was very smart. She was very kind. Uh, She was a creator. She was a graphic design creator for Hallmark cards. Thousands of her design images went out on Hallmark cards over the years. And just a wonderful lady to talk to. But as I began to talk with this lady, and I began to talk to her about my faith in Jesus Christ, she said, well, I'll just let you know I'm a spiritualist. And I believe in spiritual things, but I don't embrace Jesus as being the only way to heaven. And the sad reality is we live in a world filled with people who are spiritualists, who are moral, and who are even good people. But they have rejected Jesus as the only way to heaven. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit that he brings into our life is not just a moral conviction between right and wrong. As a matter of fact, let's just read the rest of that that statement, and we're going to look at a couple of Scripture. Man's conscience will convict us of right and wrong. But it is Holy Spirit conviction that brings people to faith in Jesus Christ. Look at Romans chapter 2. The Apostle Paul says this. He said, even the Gentiles who do not have God's written law Show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without ever having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law, listen to this, is written in their hearts for their own conscience and their thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing what is right. So this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says that God has written upon the hearts of all humanity his law, the moral compass of the soul. We call it the conscience. How many of you understand that morality is not just a Christian thing, it's actually a human thing? And every philosophy and every religion out there has some kind of moral code or code of purity that they live by. And the truth is, every atheist and every agnostic on the planet believes in commandment number eight. Does anybody know what commandment number eight is? I'm going to help you out. Thou shalt not steal. Every atheist and agnostic on the planet, if you steal their car, they'll tell you that's wrong. If you steal their money, they'll tell you that's wrong. If you steal their wife, they'll tell you that's wrong. 
Every atheist, every agnostic on the planet will tell you, if you take what is mine, then that is wrong. You know why? Because everybody has a conscience. God has written a moral code on the hearts of all humanity so that we know the difference between right and wrong. Now, the Bible is very clear that our conscience can be seared, the Bible says, as with a hot iron. We can become hard-hearted toward the conscience and the moral compass that God has given us. And we see that in our world of sin and immorality. As a matter of fact, the Bible even says that you can come to a point where God will turn you over to your own lustful, sinful behaviors. And we see that in our world today. But what I want you to recognize is I want you to recognize that salvation is not a conviction over right and wrong. Salvation is more than a conviction over right and wrong. I want you to look with me at John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, Jesus, or the Bible is speaking here about Jesus. Listen to what it says, verse 41. It says, And the Jews then complained about him, speaking of Jesus, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it that he says, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves, for no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draw them. How does God the Father draw them? Well, if we connect the dots, we recognize it is through the conviction of the Holy Spirit that the Father draws people to Christ. Now, I want you to think about something. The people in Jesus' hometown where this conversation was happening, they were not struggling with the idea that there was a moral law of how to, of a way to rightly live or wrongly live. They were not struggling with morality. They were struggling with the fact that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. That he was the only way to the Father. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father, he said, except through me. Understand something today. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is not just a conviction of right and wrong. It is a conviction that brings people to a decision that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. He is the Savior and Redeemer of all mankind. That there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ, the Bible says. And so we understand that every person in this room that has been born again and accepted Jesus Christ is born again and you are a new creation in Christ not because you made an intellectual decision but because you experienced the conviction of the Holy Spirit and that conviction brought you to a place of decision where you had to decide, are you going to accept Jesus, the remedy and sacrifice for my sin or am I going to reject Jesus and live my life my way based off my own merit and righteousness. And the fact is that every person in this room came to Christ the same way, through conviction. And without conviction, Jesus said, no one can come to me. Unless the Father who sent me draw them, they can't come. Why is that important? It's important for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's important to understand that you don't get saved on your terms. You get saved on God's terms. 
You don't just wake up one day and say, today I'm going to be a Christian. You know, I've kind of decided I've lived my life in sin long enough, and I think I'm old enough now. I can't really have a lot of fun anyway, so I might as well come to Christ. That's not how it works. It's not an intellectual decision that I make one day because I think I'm tired of living in sin and now I want to know Jesus. It is a spiritual decision that only happens as a result of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You don't come to Christ when you're ready. You come to Christ because God in His mercy draws you. And you know what the Bible says? It says that God is long-suffering and God is patient and God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. So guess what He does? In His mercy and His grace, He keeps calling us and He keeps convicting us and He keeps calling us and He keeps convicting us. But you need to understand it is that conviction that opens the door for your salvation. And without it, there is no salvation. So it's important to understand that the flip side of that coin is that as believers here, every one of us in this room, we have family and friends that we know that don't know God. Let me tell you the greatest way to pray for them. Pray for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Pray that God would convict their heart. Pray that God would bring them under conviction. There's a scripture in the book of Acts that says great grace and great conviction was upon them. And I pray that prayer regularly. I pray, God, let great grace and great conviction be over the hearts of men. Why? Because it's not my preaching. It's not the songs that we sing. It's not the scriptures that we read. It is the Spirit of God using all those things that brings conviction into the heart of men. And it is that conviction that brings salvation because only through that conviction I come to a place of not just moral right and wrong, but to a place of realization that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. And that without him, there is no life. How many of you are thankful today for the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Amen? Amen. Now look back at John 16 again. Let's read verse 8 and then we're going to look at verse 10. And when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, Jesus said he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Verse 10. Of righteousness. Look at this. Because I go to the Father and you see me no more. Now, who's the you that he's talking to? He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to his followers. And so listen to what Jesus said. He says, and the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to convict the world of sin, the sin of unbelief. But he's going to convict the church, believers, those who, have saved, who are saved, of righteousness. Look at that next point. So the Holy Spirit convicts believers of righteousness because Jesus has ascended to the Father. We no longer have a physical model. Now we have spiritual conviction. That goes with us every day of our life. 24-7, 365 days a year, I have the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my heart convicting me to do righteousness. Now let me just state just a couple of statements real quick. First of all, when you got born again, the Bible says you are the righteousness of God in Christ through faith in Jesus. And so you are righteous. What does that mean? It means you have right standing with God the Father. You have access to the Father, and you have right standing with God because of what Jesus has did on the cross and your faith in what he did. But the Bible also tells us that God calls us to righteousness. Jesus said to John the Baptist when he was being baptized, it is fitting for me to fulfill all righteousness. The word righteousness literally means to do that which pleases God and honors God to do what is right in the eyes of God. 
And so God has made us righteous. We have right standing with God. And then he calls us to live a righteous life, to do what he would do, to live as he would live, to live a life that pleases and honors the heart of God. How does that happen? It happens through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts us in righteousness. He convicts us to do those things that please the Father. Look with me in 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. Interesting scripture here. The Apostle John says this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, so now we can tell who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. So he's going to tell us how to tell the difference between the children of God and the children of the devil. Look what he says. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Now what's interesting about this statement is that the Apostle John distinguishes the difference between Christians or children of God and children of the devil not because of their sinful actions. He doesn't say you're going to know the children of the devil because they're lying, cheating, and stealing. He says you're going to know who are the children of the devil because they don't do what is righteous and they don't love their brothers in Christ. So think about something for just a second. Let me just say it like this. I wrote it down because I didn't want to mess it up. Christianity, think about it, is not defined by what we don't do. Christianity is defined by what we are doing. Those who practice righteousness and those who love others, John says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they are the children of God. They're children of God not because they don't lie, cheat, and steal. They're children of God because they do what pleases the heart of the Father and they love people with the love of Jesus Christ. Think about it like this. If you don't lie, cheat, steal, commit adultery, break any of the Ten Commandments, that doesn't make you a Christian. That makes you moral. I don't lie, cheat, and steal. That's wonderful. That makes you moral. It doesn't make you a Christian. I don't cuss. Right? There was an old saying years ago when I was a kid growing up. I remember the old preacher saying this. I don't drink, and I don't chew, and I don't run with those who do. <laughs> Pretty little rhyme. I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't run with those who do. Guess what? Not drinking and not chewing and not running with those who do doesn't make you Christian. It makes you moral. And there are a lot of moral atheists and agnostics. And there are a lot of moral people who have denied Jesus Christ, but they live by a code of morality. Why? Because salvation is not just a conviction between right and wrong. Salvation is the conviction that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man can come to the Father except through him. And then the Holy Spirit comes into the heart of those who are born again. That's me and you. And he begins to convict us of righteousness, that we would do what is right and what is pleasing in the eyes of God. Why? Because the Spirit of the Lord lives and abides and dwells in us. Look at that next point. Holy Spirit conviction engages us in the work of the kingdom of God. And listen to this next statement. The greatest conviction in the life of a believer is not the conviction of sin. Yes, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Let's just be honest. Before you say and do the wrong thing, you already know you shouldn't say and do it. Before the words come out of your mouth, the Holy Spirit's already convicted you. You shouldn't say that. Before you respond in the way you're about to respond, the Holy Spirit's already convicted you. You shouldn't do that. And if you go ahead and do it anyway, guess what he does? He convicts you now that what you did was wrong. <laughs> and you've got to say, I'm sorry, and you've got to ask God to forgive you, and you've got to move on. 
But the greatest conviction in the life of a Christian should not be the conviction of sin. It should be the conviction of righteousness. It should be the conviction that I am called to live a life that pleases God. Think about it like this. When we respond to the convictions of the Holy Spirit, we go and do the things that please God. We go and do the things that please God. The conviction of righteousness is a conviction that compels me to say something, to do something, to go somewhere. I got to pray for somebody. I got to witness to somebody. I got to serve somebody. I got to help somebody. I got to love somebody. I got to minister to somebody. I got to do something because I've got a Holy Ghost conviction that is convicting me to do what is right and pleasing in the eyes of God. And that should be our greatest conviction. When I accepted the call to preach, Kelly will testify to this. Early on, before I was pastor, before I was in the ministry, God started giving me sermons and sermons and sermons. And I'd be mowing the grass. I had a good old push mower back in the day. And I'd be preaching like crazy to the grass. I mean, blades of grass getting saved. <laughs> Kelly got so happy when we started pastoring because I got to preach to somebody else besides her. You know what the Apostle Paul said? The Apostle Paul says, Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. What was he saying? He was saying the greatest conviction in my life is not to go lie, cheat, and steal. Yeah, that's important. But the greatest conviction in my life is to proclaim Jesus. The greatest conviction in my life is to do what Jesus did. That is my greatest conviction. And it should drive us and it should move us and it creates, think about this, this Holy Ghost conviction for righteousness creates a have to. Man, I have to preach. And if I'm not pastoring, I'm still preaching. See, I don't need a position and I don't even need a church to do what God's called me to do. I'm glad I have a position and I'm glad we got a church, but I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to shepherd people. I'm going to love people. I'm going to serve people. I'm going to minister to people whether I have a position or not. Because the conviction of the Holy Spirit is within me to do the things, again, God has created me to do. Every person in this room has a unique expression of the glory of God. There's a unique gift and a calling on your life. And we're all called to preach Jesus. We're all called to win souls, make disciples, destroy the works of the devil because we're supposed to do what Jesus did. But there are unique expressions in how that happens in every person's life. And you don't have to do what I do. Please don't. I won't have a job. <laughs> you have to do what God's called you to do. In a way that is righteous. It's right. It's a conviction that says, I have to do something. I have to help somebody. I have to make a difference. I shared with you last week, Kelly and I, uh, on our little vacation, we went to the movies. We went and saw The Sound of Freedom. If you hadn't seen that movie, I highly recommend you go see the movie The Sound of Freedom. It's about a, a true story on a gentleman who worked for Homeland Security who was catching and arresting drug traffickers, not drug traffickers, sex traffickers, people that were selling children in the sex trafficking industry. And finally, he came to a place of conviction. Where it wasn't enough just to arrest the bad guys. He had to rescue the children. It wasn't enough just to put the bad guys in prison. He had to rescue the kids from the torment and the hell that they were living in. And if it meant he had to quit his job, he'd quit his job. If it meant he had to go out on his own, he'd go out on his own. If it meant he had to make sacrifices and his family had to sacrifice for these children to come home to their families, he said, I have to do what I have to do. 
And God have mercy on our souls that we would grieve and quench the Holy Spirit to such a degree that we could be content to be passive. I'm just telling you, going to church, ain't, this, this is not Christianity. This is the feeling station for Christianity. You come to church so we can fill you up and fire you up and fuel you up, and then you can go charge hell with a water pistol and do what God has called you to do. Your life matters. Your life matters. And God has given you a conviction of righteousness that says, I've got to do this. i got to help homeless people. i got to help drug addicts. i got to help single moms. i got to help children. i got to help somebody. And God have mercy on us that we would grieve the Holy Spirit to such a degree that we could be content with just coming to church instead of being the church that God has called us to be. The greatest conviction is the conviction of righteousness that compels us to do something. I don't care if anybody else gets on board, I'm going to do something. The Holy Spirit, 8 o'clock service, the Holy Spirit checked my heart. He said, Keith, he said, the reason many people have, have, have not followed through on the conviction of righteousness is because of fear. The fear of the unknown. The fear of the what ifs. What if nobody supports me? What if nobody believes me? No, what if nobody gets on board? I'm just going to be really clear with you. <laughs> on the day of judgment, we're about to talk about judgment. God's not going to ask you, did anybody support you? And he's not going to ask you, did anybody believe in you? He's not going to ask you, did anybody financially support your ministry? He's going to ask you, did you do what I called you to do? That's what he's going to ask you. Now, I'm not saying we don't use wisdom because we do. And I'm not saying we don't have to make wise choices because we do. But I am saying, you've got you've to say yes. You, you want to turn the world upside down? We, we want to build churches so big that so, we, we want to keep building buildings so big that we can't fill it up with the people. Then you just start doing what God's called you to do. And people will come. People will come from the highways and byways because their lives will be changed. You know why? Because we'll bring them in. The Lord spoke to me several weeks ago. He said, Keith, he said, the reason you pray for laborers for the harvest. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The reason you pray for laborers is because the harvest doesn't come in. The harvest has to be brought in you got to bring it in. And you can plant the seeds and you can grow the crop, but if you don't harvest it, it'll die on the vine. And let me just tell you something. There are people dying on the vine out in the world going to hell because you have quenched the conviction of righteousness in your heart. And you're waiting on somebody else to do what God's called you to do. Don't wait. Just start. One step in the right direction. Amen? Look at that last point. Or not next, not last point. Stephen, hold up. He's ready to come. John 16, 8 and 11. Jesus said when he comes, he'll convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of judgment. Look at this. Because the ruler of this world is judged. How I many know Satan is the ruler of this world? He's the prince of the power of the air. And when Jesus came, he brought judgment into the world. He brought light into the darkness. And look at this next point. The Holy Spirit convicts the world and believers of judgment. 
He convicts the sin of un- the, the world of the sin of unbelief. He convicts believers of righteousness, and he convicts both the world and believers of judgment. What does that mean? It means that we will all give an account of our lives to God. We will all give an account of our lives to God, saved and non-saved, Christian and non-Christian. One day we will all stand before God and give an account for our lives. And the Holy Spirit convicts the world and the church of judgment. In Revelation 20, the Bible says this, And I saw a great white throne, and the one sitting on it, the, the earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. And I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. The books were open, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead. And they were all judged according to their deeds. And death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. The great white throne judgment is what theologians call this, where a lost and dying world stands before God, gives an account for their life. And then whoever's name is not found written in the book of life, those who have not accepted Christ will be cast into the lake of fire. And it's a real judgment. And and the Lord said this to me. He said, Keith, he said, think about our world today. Our sinful, selfish world has a mantra that basically says, don't judge me. Think about our world we live in. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. The church is judging me. Those Christians are judging me. Those people are judging me. And what we recognize is we have a world filled with sin and selfishness and immorality and perversion. And the whole world has this mantra, don't judge me. And as I was studying this week, the Holy Spirit just checked my heart. He said, Keith, he said, think about it like this. He said, the reason the world is so consumed with judgment is because the Holy Spirit is convicting them that there is a day of judgment. And they're so consumed with don't judge me. You know why they're consumed with it? Because there's a conviction that says judgment's coming. Now the problem is the world thinks the church is judging them. And I don't know about every church, but Liberty Church isn't. Man, we love you right where you are. We don't care what you look like, smell like, what you've done, where you've been. We're going to welcome you. We're going to love you, and we're going to help you grow in the grace and all to Jesus Christ. And if you hang out long enough, you won't stay the same. Amen? And if you think you're being judged, it's not because the church is judging you. It's because the Holy Spirit is convicting you of living a life that you know does not please God. And so one day, the world will stand before God. And one day, the world will give an account of themselves to God. And one day, the church will. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. It says, Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him, speaking of God. For we must all appear, he's speaking to the church, to Christians, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether they are good or whether they are bad. When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, this is not a judgment of our salvation. Our salvation has been settled through the finished work of Jesus Christ and our faith in Christ. This is a judgment of reward. The judgment seat of Christ, I want you to hear this. The judgment seat of Christ was not created so God could condemn you or punish you. The judgment seat of Christ was created so that God could reward you eternally. 
for the way you live your life temporally for his glory. Now the Bible does say that on that day of judgment before the judgment seat of Christ that we will see our works and they'll be tried by fire and many of our works will be consumed and we will suffer loss. There will be a grief over the fact that we wasted time, energy, effort, and abilities pursuing things that had no real value. But that's not the purpose of the judgment seat of Christ. It's not to condemn us. It is to reward us for the good things that we did in response to the conviction of righteousness that the Holy Spirit brought into our lives. Because God wants you to spend eternity enjoying the reward of your temporal labor. Think about that. You talk about a retirement plan. God wants you to spend eternity enjoying a reward that will never diminish from temporal labor that lasted only a few days. How powerful that is. And so the Holy Spirit convicts us. Look at that last point. Stephen, you can come. Holy Spirit conviction in the lives of Christians reminds us that we are accountable. Right? I'm accountable to God for my words. I'm accountable to God for my actions, for my talents, for my life. I'm accountable. And the Holy Spirit convicts me of that accountability. He convicts me that there's a day of judgment to come. Again, not to condemn me, but to inspire me and remind me that I'm going to answer to God. You know what Jesus said? Jesus made a crazy statement. He says, he says that, that we're going to give an account on the day of judgment for every idle word that we speak. And by our words, we will be justified, or by our words, we will be condemned. It makes me want to shut my mouth even though I don't. Right? I want my words to be few. Kelly will tell you my words are not few. I talk a lot. But on the day of judgment, I'm going to give an account for every idle word I speak. I'm going to give an account for every deed that I do. Every response that I make. My response, right, Chris, is my responsibility. My response to other people's negativity, to other people's criticism, to other people's anger, to other people's stupidity, my response is my responsibility. And when I stand before God, I'm going to give an account, not for how you spoke to me, but how I spoke back. My talents, let's talk about this for just a second. My talents, I want you to think of talents as anything God has given you. In, in the Gospels, Jesus tells a parable of a man who had five talents, three talents, and one talent. And the word talent there literally represented money. It was an amount of money. So I want you to recognize it just like this. Let me say it like this. One day you're going to be audited by God for how you used your natural talents, how you used your money, how you used your time and how you lived your life. You're going to be audited by God. And again, the purpose of that audit is not to punish us. The purpose of that audit is to reward us for the good things we did in response to the conviction of righteousness in our life. And when I think about that, it makes me recognize that I need a holy fear in my life. You know what the Bible says? The fear of God brings life. It is a fountain of life. The fear of God brings life. I'm not afraid of God, but I fear God. I'm not afraid of Him, 
but I fear him. Why? Because one day I'm going to give an account for how I live my life. And it matters. You know why it matters? Because people are dying and going to hell. It matters because we're supposed to bring in the harvest. It matters because your life has the opportunity to impact thousands of lives. And many of those lives, it's not just about, it's not just about raising the value of their life. It's about literally saving their life from a devil's hell and introducing them into the love and grace of Jesus. It matters. And so I want us just to bow our heads this morning. I want our prayer teams to come. And I want to just open the altar up this morning, first of all, for everyone here today that's a born-again Christian. I want, I want to challenge you with this thought today. Are you responding to the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Are you responding to the conviction of the Holy Spirit? The conviction to go and do. The conviction to engage. The conviction to take the gifts and the talents that God has given you and use them in such a way that it makes a difference, not only in this world, but it makes a difference in eternity. Are you responding to that conviction? Because maybe you've allowed fear, maybe you've allowed insecurities, maybe you've allowed doubt to keep you from stepping out in faith and saying, God, I'm just going to pursue you one day at a time. I'm going to step in every day to that conviction of righteousness. Whatever that looks like, I'm going to step into it. I'm going to respond to you. I want to open the altar up this morning. Maybe you just need to say yes to God, a fresh yes. A fresh yes to that conviction. And maybe you just want to come and kneel on the altar. Maybe you want to come and you want one of our prayer team members to pray with you. You can do that. Whatever you're comfortable with, whatever you like, feel like you need to do this morning. But the altar is open right now. And it's time just to say yes to that conviction. Yes to that conviction. I, I, I don't want to be passive. I, I don't want to let God's gift and God's grace pass me by. I don't, I don't want to miss the, the opportunity that, that God has for my life. I don't want to harden my heart one more day. I want to just say yes to Him. So if that's you right now, you just come. The altar's open. We'd love to pray with you. The second thing we want to do, every head bowed, every eye closed, is maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you realize, Pastor Keith, I'm not born again. I'm not a Christian. Maybe I've embraced morality, but I haven't embraced Jesus. And today you want to do that. Today you want to say yes to the Savior. And right now, you're not responding to the voice of a preacher, but right now there's a conviction in your heart. Right now, you know you need to be saved. Right now, you know in your heart of hearts the conviction of the Holy Spirit is on you. And you know that if you were to die right now, you're not right with God. And you want to settle that this morning. You want to make Jesus your Lord and your Savior. If that's you, and you say, Pastor Keith, I, I want to respond to Christ right now. I want you just to stand to your feet. Just a simple act of faith, just to stand up. Just to stand up, just to stand to your feet and say, today, I want to respond to that conviction to know Jesus. I want to respond to Him today. This is your moment. If you're watching online, I want you to hit that chat box and just say, Pastor Keith, I'm standing. I want to, I want to accept Christ today. We want to pray with you. This is your moment right now. 
So we're about to pray, and I want to just ask everybody in here to pray this prayer with me. And if you're sensing that conviction right now, this is your moment. God is calling you. God is dealing with you. The Holy Spirit is saying, this is for you. This is yours. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Salvation is not an intellectual decision. It's a spiritual decision in response to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So if you're feeling that conviction today, then today's your day. Amen. So let's pray this prayer together. Let's pray it out loud. Everybody with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I receive your forgiveness. And I receive the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to let these continue to pray for just a moment. I'm going to ask Stephen and Jennifer just to sing over us for just a moment. If you need prayer, why don't we stand to our feet this morning? If you need prayer for any reason, you come, and we'd love to pray with you. This is a holy moment. Let, let's let the Holy Spirit work. Respond to that yes today. And let that conviction move us to action as we worship Him this morning.